When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey now, welcome to another episode of Run Vass Option. My name is Chris Vassar, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's guest is Jay Wilkinson. Now, this episode was actually recorded, I believe, in July of 2021. I recorded this. The whole goal was to focus on your usual pod topics, and then every third or fourth episode, dig deep into an offense that wasn't the spread, that wasn't quote-unquote mainstream. And I know this is about the I-formation, and some of you guys might say, how can you say the I-formation isn't mainstream? And maybe maybe it is. Maybe I'm misclassifying it. But I know in high school football, around the parts where I've been lately, it is an offense that isn't seen as much. So I wanted to pick unique offenses. And I again, I know some of you are probably laughing and going, the I-formation isn't unique. It's been around for 50 years, and it's still run all the time. But in the days of the spread and all that stuff, I wanted to to deviate from just having those type of episodes every week. So that was the goal. However, as most of you know, last August, I got really sick with COVID, almost did not come home, spent a week in the hospital. So all of that got derailed. And then the season started and I wasn't feeling well. And I felt it was really weird to release a podcast about the I formation in the middle of football season with no sort of context or anything. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do the same idea for 2022. Well, you have plans and then things happen. The good news for me is life got way busier than I ever imagined. And between coach tube and consulting and clinics and all the other things I had to do, unfortunately, when it comes to things that go, This was a side project I did because people were like, why don't you do it for offense? So I said, okay, we'll do it. And I kind of laughed because the the title of the episode will say season two, episode three. There's only been three episodes this year and in eight months. And so I don't know if you can call this a season or whatever. Maybe I have to renumber all the episodes, but fortunate for my life. But unfortunately for this podcast, life got busy. Opportunities opened up. Things I never thought I would get to do happened. And so the podcast was the first to go on my pecking order. And so that's kind of just been this thing that's been hanging out and I'll get to it when I can. I like talking about offensive football. I had some really great guests for a podcast with only, I think this is like the 12th episode. 
I've had some home run hitters, but I want to keep it alive, but it will not be something that's scheduled. Hell, make defense great again, which was the flagship of what started this whole thing. I was only able to do seven episodes in eight months this year, which is crazy. Normally, seven episodes would be two months of content. So for 2023, I'm hoping to post more, but this will probably, unless something crazy happens, will be the last episode of 2022. We'll put this on ice, and I promise to make a more concerted effort to get back to this podcast because I really do, as much as I you know, give the offensive coach a shit, I really do enjoy this, especially topics like this that are a little off the beaten path. I know some of you are on the eye are probably shaking their fists at the radio or whatever you're listening to this on and saying, how could you say that? It's the eye formation. It's timeless. It is timeless, but you know what I mean, and so... I definitely want to keep this going, but I just wanted to kind of give you a state of the pod and where things are going to be going. Um, it's going to be all that I can do to get the defensive one out during the season, doing the Q&A pod. So just giving you an update on that and then my life uh, and where I've been the past two months. I got really sick again this year with COVID and some other things. So the last two months of my life, I've been not laid up. I've done a lot of work, but for a while, my voice was shot. I couldn't even talk. So not really great to do a podcast when you cannot talk or you feel like your head's going to explode. But anyway, now, before we get in the episode, I want to talk about some things that I've been doing recently that involve defense. So you guys might be offensive coaches. You might be offensive coordinators, but if you're playing football or you're coaching football, you have defensive coordinators that you love in your life, or maybe you loathe, but you still need them to help win football games. So I've done a couple projects recently that will help your defense out, hopefully. Or if you're into studying how the other side does things, listen to this part. There's a lot of information here, so I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible so we can get into the podcast and you don't have to listen to me rattle on forever. First things first, my two and a half year odyssey on creating a tight front package on coach tube is almost completely finished. I'm doing the finishing touches on selecting the plays used for the video. As I mentioned, COVID kind of put everything on hold for a while and the rel- the other sicknesses that I had. But if you go to bit.ly slash tight front vast and remember, because we're football coaches, we spell tight T-I-T-E. Again, that's bit.ly slash tight front vast. There are three courses that are standing at about nine hours now. When I add all the film, God, it's probably going to be, I don't want to put any promises, but it's going to be probably 15 to 20 hours on there. But I will say this, I've pulled about 300 clips that I'm going to be narrating in the clips as well, which is why this has taken so much time. I've left no stone unturned. I've watched every single tight front clip that Bama, LSU, Baylor, all those guys have run over the past, I don't know, seven years where the tight front was used, Georgia as well, and of course also used my own game film, broken it down, going to talk through everything, it's going to be all there, and you can get the bundle, buy two, get one free, $99 for over 15 to 20 hours of content, it's a huge, huge steal, they are the tight front base package, defending the run of the tight front, which is specifically geared towards the base package and how all the run fits. It was going to be part of the first course, but it became a monstrosity. And so I made it its own course. But the good thing is you get the bundle, you basically get it for free. And then the third course, which is the pressure package, which 
not only has all the pressures and explanations and then how you package them together, but we'll also have film against the run and the pass. So they're together. So get that by going to bit.ly slash tight front vast. The next thing I want to talk about may be the greatest deal of all time that I've ever been a part of. I made a course. It's based on my Glazer presentation that I did this year on the game week. Everything that you need to know entitled from Saturday to Thursday. And it covers how I break down opponents, how I game plan practice for every day of the week. And then what I even did after practice, before practice, what I assigned to my assistant coaches, the columns I used to break down. And I also included a sample five day fall camp install practice structure, a week in season practice structure, three practices, and also two different call sheets, the new Excel template I used and an old word template that I use. Some people may prefer, and I cover everything. The course is about three and a half hours and you can get it for free. That's right. You can get it for free. Just go to underdogfantasy.com, and if you're a first-time user, if you deposit at least $10, first of all, Underdog Fantasy is going to match you up to $100. Bucks. So you put $10 bucks in, they give you $10. You put in $100, they give you $100. And you get the course for free, but only if you use the code VASS. That's V-A-S-S. Now, just give me 24 hours because he sent me a report. If he signs up using the code, I will send you that personalized free code for the course. If you want to check the course out, you can go to bit.ly slash VAS Game Week, all one word. That's bit.ly slash VAS Game Week. And then if you're like, man, this is awesome. I could put in as little as 10 bucks and get this course. And they give me 10 bucks. You go to underdogfantasy.com and you sign up and you use the code VAS. Remember, this is for New Year's only. Now, if Underdog Fantasy is not available in your state, or you've already signed up for Underdog Fantasy, or if fantasy sports just isn't your thing, you are still able to purchase the course on its own. Again, the course is bit.ly slash vastgameweek. But remember, this is important. If you want to take advantage of the Underdog promotion, do not buy the course and then try to get a refund. I cannot do that for you. I do not have the power to do that. If you check the course out and you're like, wow, this is awesome, I want to use that code. And we cover everything. I mean, every subject that I could think of during a game week is covered. And it's a day-by-day implementation plan as well. So you can follow it to a T if you want. Or if you want to spark some ideas, maybe switch up some things. I go over the old purple ball that we stole from TCU and modified for us. That is probably the best thing I've ever done to help me on game day. We go over everything. If you like it, underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with code VAS. And again, you can check out that course, bit.oi slash week. It's pretty awesome, and I'm super excited. Guys that have gotten the course have been telling me how much it's helped them, which is all I care about. All right, I'm not going to go through the normal housekeeping bit because I've talked for long enough. Follow me on Twitter at CoachVast. If you have any questions, you can go to my link tree. All the links and everything I will ever talk about related to what I do is there. That is the place to go or go to linktree.com slash CoachVast. Whenever anything related to me you hear something on a pod or you think, I thought I remember Vass talking about that. You just go to at Coach Vass, or if you don't have Twitter, which I don't know why you don't, linktree.com slash Coach Vass. All right, let's get into it, man. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Jay Wilkinson, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Fayetteville High School in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Coach, welcome to the program. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me. I've really been looking forward to this and uh, learned a lot from the previous episodes. So hopefully I can chip in and maybe give somebody a few nuggets they can use this year. Well, I certainly appreciate that. This has been a long time coming. I was trying to figure out how uh, to incorporate you in the defensive show without pissing everyone off talking about all that offensive stuff. But, you know, that's why I got this platform and we'll get to talk about it here. But uh, before we get into it, give the coaches a little background on how you got to Fayetteville and you know, where you've been before and some of your experiences, just give a quick bio for the listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nomad. So I've mainly been in the Tulsa area. I started out, I guess, kind of my first job was at Shawnee, Oklahoma. Um, and I was there for a little while and, and went to Jinx, which I know a lot of listeners will re- re- notice that name. And so I was at Jinx for two years and then became the offensive coordinator. Um, went from Jinx to Union. Um, and then from Union, I became a head coach at a small, small private Christian school there in Tulsa, Metro Christian Academy. I was there two years and did the college thing. I went to uh, University of Central Oklahoma as the offensive coordinator to Division II school in Edmond. Spent uh, spent three years at, at UCO and uh, came to Broken Arrow for my first stint as offensive coordinator. Was at BA for three years and, and uh, took a head coaching job with a small school right outside of Broken Arrow called Coweta. So I was the head coach there for two and then left there and took a head coaching job back in Edmond at a school, uh, Deer Creek, right outside of Edmond, a 6A program, and uh, was there for a year and, and uh, then got offered to come back and became office coordinator at Broken Arrow for the second time under Coach Alexander in 2017 and uh, was blessed enough that year to in 18 to win the school's first ever state championship in over 100 years and uh, everything was going well. And then evidently, I guess, in uh, 2020, we didn't, didn't win enough games and so we all kind of got ran out of town and so uh it's kind of funny how things work out i'm sitting there the the day after basically you know coach alexander gets gets let go and and my phone rings and it's the head coach at fayetteville and he calls me and tells me that he might be looking for an offensive coordinator i'd be interested and i said well yeah why not let's let's try it out and so just over the course of about a month talked and worked out the process and so now i'm now i'm out of the state of oklahoma for the first time in the great state of arkansas and uh and looking forward to get the season rolling now i know you're not one to talk crap about former employers so i'll do it for you <laughs> um yeah the, the whole jinx thing or rather the whole broken arrow thing was weird because you guys had a really good record you had a really good coaching staff and when that all went down. I was just stunned. And I'm like, there's gotta be something, something crazy there. And sure enough, there was. And so, but I'm glad that you're where you're at. I'm glad that you're calling offense because you're way too talented to not be doing what you're doing. So uh, the coaching community is grateful that you're doing that. And I'm sure the Fayetteville defensive coordinators are not. Well, they, they didn't take it too easy on in the spring game. So we're, I'm trying to get a, maybe get a uh, fall inter squad scrimmage or something just so I can kind of get, uh, get back at them. Cause I, I felt like we were going to set the record for three and outs in a inter squad spring scrimmage uh, this past spring. So we had some guys out. So now that they're back, I'm trying to kind of, trying to kind of game plan maybe a small scrimmage in here before the season starts. <laughs> no, maybe you'll get your payback during the season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> The main reason I wanted to have you on today was because I know for the last four years, you have been a proponent of the I formation, which is something that for me was interesting coming up because the I was kind of 
the popularity was still there, but the spread stuff had started. So you had defensive coordinators with kind of two different defenses going. And now you don't see it a lot. And I've always said that the next team that really does it and goes for it will be outstanding. Um, It's an offense that, although I hate going against, is kind of close to my heart. It's one I've always grudgingly admired. And when I was making a list of offenses I wanted to feature on this pod, one of the top ones was the eye. And of course, you were the guy that I thought of. So why in the years 2017 to 2020 did you focus on the eye? Well, one of the things when I first came back to talk to Dave about the offensive coordinator job, you know, he pretty much laid out the picture. One, Dave, you know, obviously playing offensive line in the NFL. I mean, that's where, you know, he he wants to win in the trenches. And, you know, he just kind of laid out, hey, the, you know, with what we've got coming back, the strength of our team, we're going to be really good up front for the next three to four years. And we've got a big physical, you know, fullback, uh, that, that played a little bit as a sophomore. We're going to have a 220-pound tailback. Um, you know, just the teams in this area that we need to beat athletically, we probably weren't going to match up even. Um, and so, you know, we needed to kind of find our niche. And, you know, when when I first kind of started calling offenses, you know, in, in Oklahoma in this area, you know, it was a lot of, heavier personnel and so you know we had kind of were one of the first ones to kind of spread the ball around uh, go no huddle playing a lot of 10 personnel empty and so we kind of were on the 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 you know the beginning of that stage and then uh, you know as defenses kind of caught up and you get all the one word calls and now they're not huddling and all that stuff you know I kind of looked at it as we were kind of we were almost doing to them what the no huddle did to defenses back in the the late nineties, the early two thousands. So, you know, when we would break the huddle and line up with, you know, two tight ends and a fullback and jump shift trade or motion, you know, it, it was something new for those kids that that the coaches were having to practice basically in, in three days, you know, I mean, they were having to, now all of a sudden call the strength based off of where the tight end is. And now if he moves, everybody's roles change. And then all of a sudden there's a motion. And so, you know, a lot of that skill isn't being taught anymore. Everything's, you know, filled in boundary and, and, you know, they're, they're seeing the receivers line up in the, the no huddle systems. And so they're auto checking calls and, and all that stuff. And so, so now we kind of got back to where, you know, the defensive coordinators, guys like Adam Gaylor and, uh, Coach Fred over at Union, stuff like that. They weren't able just to see us line up and call the exactly call. Now all of a sudden we were breaking the huddle and we were putting it back on the 16, 17 year old kids to get them in and out of the right defenses. And and then oh yeah, hey we're snapping the ball and we're coming downhill with you know some form of power about 30 times a game and get you some of that. And so um, you know it was kind of it was refreshing for me because we started with a blank slate and so. It was like, you know, we wiped away the board. We started meeting on Saturdays as a staff. Hey, who do we want to talk to? Uh, you know, we drove down to Rice because those guys had just gotten hired from Stanford. And me and Coach Alexander and Coach Harper hopped in a hopped in a Suburban and drove to Houston and spent two days with those guys. And just through, through some of our relationships, looked at a bunch of North Dakota State film. And so, you know, it was, one, it was refreshing for me, but two, I felt like it really gave us a little bit of an edge. It was kind of the way that we were going to win football games by 
by doing things just a little bit different and making it really hard on people, you know, in that three or four days to get their kids prepared. And then, oh, yeah, once you are prepared, you still have to take on these guys are going to, you know, hit you in the face 40, 50 times a game. Yeah, it's interesting to think about some of the things that I used to have to worry about that I didn't have to worry about towards the end of my time at Clovis. Well, we had to worry about because we saw some eye, we saw some single wing, we saw some tight end base defenses, but a lot of guys now they talk about their interchangeable defensive ends. They talk about their interchangeable interior linemen. And that makes me nervous as a guy who cut his teeth in Northern California, where two backs and a tight end was still reigning Supreme. In fact, really the pro formation was what, it was really like a spread to some teams because we saw it a wing T and double wing and single wing with no flanker sometimes and definitely no split end. So, and, and what's hard for defensive coordinators and I'm just kind of thinking out loud as we talk, you know, where you're really going to stress the defense out today is, you know, I, I have a lot of young guys I work with and where do you go to talk about that stuff? You know, where do you go to learn? And you know, you're going to be facing defenses like in the early 2000s that had an eye formation defense with a spread package. You're going to be seeing the same thing. You're going to see teams that are built for for to beat the spread, their personnel, like you said. And then there's the trading, the motions, you know, ch- uh, change of strength, unbalanced. And yeah, that some of that stuff like unbalances in the spread, but it doesn't stress you out like it did at least for me, like unbalanced at 11 personnel. I was like, all right, whatever. But, you know, 21, 22 personnel, that stuff can really get to you. So I I felt that, yeah, I was relieved. I've always said the hardest, the hardest offense I ever had to game plan for was we played really two of them. We played in Northern California. I put the Boise in quotes style offense, the trades, the shifts, the 12, personnel where the second tight end is a fullback and you know you look at a team like Oklahoma and I don't want to get too off track especially I mean we get off track in the pod but not this usually this early but you take a team (laughs) like Oklahoma who's one of the teams that can really get those hybrid tight ends and they don't do it a whole lot and I know they do it and it's in there but you know they're in with those tight ends and they're running back they can line up and empty. They can run the old Lou Holtz offense that he ran terribly, but the concept where, you know, he had 21 personnel when getting to four wides. You know, if you go into, you're in 12, you're an empty, and then you're getting in tight end wing with pair, you know, pair of receivers on the other side, your motion, that wing in the backfield, you can do so much stuff, and it really stresses out. I mean, that's one thing that defensive coaches, and you talk about tempo. Yeah, tempo's tough. But so is formations, you know, it's, it's hard to line up all those formations and, and, and guys that are smart about it and are creative about it. They can really get the matchups they want if they do it correctly, or you force the defense like spread teams into being vanilla and then you just pick them apart. I, I always thought, you know, at least I'm going to go down swing and I'm at least going to try to line up to what they're doing and move and shift around and match all that stuff rather than well, I'm just going to line up on like this and you're going to tee off on me. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see it kind of go, but you know, where do you go at this time? You know, a lot of, a lot of coaches that are coming up, especially a lot of these, even these college guys, like they weren't, you know, in certain conferences they did, but a lot of that stuff in high school, those guys aren't, you know, they're, they're, they're promoting guys younger and younger and younger. 
You know, if you're, yeah. if you're going against a 27 year old defensive coordinator, how much experience do they have really defending the eye? So, I mean, unless exactly. you're in certain it, geographic centers like Northern California. Right. And, and, you know, I think like, you know, that was like, even my deal, like when we first started, like, you know, cause yeah, I'm like you, it's like, I try to take these pilgrimages, you know, in the spring and in the summer to find as many different places to go visit and, and, and that kind of deal. And so it was like, okay, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to, you know, basically we're going to, we're going to start this deal from scratch and we're going to go visit all these places. And it's like, you start looking at film for places that are still playing with kind of a true fullback. And it's like, where did they all go? Like, I mean, it's just, you know, and so luckily, you know, uh, the Harbaugh, they were still doing some things at Michigan and they were recruiting one of our offensive linemen. So we were able to kind of get some things out of those guys. And then, like I said, the guys from, from uh, Rice had went from Stanford. And then, you know, a year later, the North Coast State guys, um, uh, you know, were at Kansas State. And, and all of them were really open. And, and, you know, we got a lot of stuff from those guys uh, studying film. But well, there, there just wasn't a lot of it out there. You know, you know, even Michigan now, I mean, they're, they're a shotgun spread RPO team. You know, I mean, it's like you can't even, can't even talk to those guys hardly anymore. So, uh, I think the game's going to gravitate back that way. You know, I think uh, even just listening to, to Nick Saban talk, like you mentioned, like I think everybody with the, you know, with the uh, hybrid outside linebacker safety type guys and that kind of stuff, I think it's, you know, all of a sudden, you know, people are going to covet those tight end H-back type guys that, that, you know, can can get in there and, like you said, can, can play in the box or they can also go stand up and give you some mismatch problems. And so – uh, I think the game's going to gravitate back that way. It's just going to be like, you know, it's it's going to be like, hey, you know, at, at what point do all the colleges start doing it? Then I think it'll filter down. Because I still remember the day when, you know, Todd Graham came to Tulsa, Oklahoma and brought the 3-3 stack. Nobody's run 3-3 stack. And then two years later, it's like half the state is. You know, I mean, it's just kind of, I think things kind of sometimes can filter back down that way a little bit. And so, you know, I think, you know, once one of these schools kind of figures it out and gets going that way, um, you know, I think it'll kind of filter down and you'll start seeing a little bit more in some of these areas. Well, and the best coaches are the ones that either stay ahead or get behind the curve. However, you want to look at it. I don't really look at exactly. as a, as a curve so much as a, um, a, a cycle, but like, you know, you watch Belichick what was the playoffs a couple of years ago. They went to the Super Bowl. Was it was it 2018 where they were running 21 personnel? And yes, I believe so. Nobody yeah. knew what to do. And then especially on the other side of the ball, you see guys like I know some guys and I'll keep it to myself. But there's some guys that they're trying to get away from the tight fronts now because everybody's trying to recruit those four eyes. Everybody's trying to yep. do it. So what are offenses doing? They're they're setting up for it. So, you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve. And I think. You know, some people say, oh, well, guys are behind the curve, but, you know, it doesn't matter how much information you have about an offense. And that's why I wanted to do this series in the podcast. And and I jokingly said it was old timey offenses. I formation is not old timey whatsoever. You know, we I joked right. with Gus, uh, Gus Capulca, um about that on the last pod. Like, and I, I believe um, Poltrock said something like, oh, it's contrarian. You know, right. there's still a ton of teams doing this. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's viewed as one of the best minds in the NFL and what's space at. So 
Well, but, when I was getting ready to bring him up, you know, that year they made the run, we stole all Rowdy would watch the 49ers on the, the NFL stuff every Monday or Tuesday and come up with new schemes because the 49ers, I mean, basically line up in 21 and 22 and, and running the football ever snap on their way to the Super Bowl that year. So we, we stole a bunch of stuff from those guys as well. Right. Smart. I mean, it's great stuff. So let's talk about your philosophy. You mentioned power. I'm guessing that was your base play. That was going to be our baby. How many forms of gap scheme can we run a week was kind of our, our biggest thing in 17, 18, and 19. I love it. So everybody knows power. There's no magical, you know, blocking rules, or maybe there is. But everybody can picture in their mind, close their eyes. Well, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. But you can picture running power. But what were some of the more uh, variant ways that you ran it, things that you started doing? Because, you know, if you if you are facing a DC who's a little older, who knows all the tricks and they're ready for it, you know, and that doesn't mean you could stop it again. I, I don't I, I realize and I say this every podcast, I am a I was an offensive coach, but I was for a year, but I was mostly a defensive coach. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into a pissing contest or who has the pen last. This is an offensive podcast. You got to remember, I worked with Adam Gaylor for three years now. So we've had many, many battles on the board that I don't think I ever won a one of them because he always had the marker last. So, right. So it's not <laughs> I've been there, done that. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, shit, you got me again. You know, I, oh, no. But, um, you know, I don't want to turn this into a pissing contest or, a, a, you know, a battle of the pen. But the point is, it doesn't matter if you know how to stop something. You got to stop it. But let's say you're playing a team. They're actually, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the playoff, but you're like, you know, we could we could do some things differently to spring something open. They're really overplaying that power. What were some of the very yeah. what were some of the various? I don't know if you want to call them tags or adjustments or whatever that you would run to really make your power play go? So one of the things, and then we kind of stole it from North Dakota State, you know, with so many people being in the odd, almost the tight front, you know, we like to our strong side power to a tight end side out of 21 personnel. You know, we were getting a lot of basically four techniques that would cut our tackle and cause just a log jam kind of right there in the hole between that tackle and tight end double team. And so, you know, we got to where we basically kind of ran, we called it kind of some inside power where we took the tackle down and basically kicked the four eye or for us, power and counter were basically the same way. We just switched, you know, if the guard was the kick and the fullback was the wrapper. And so uh, kind of GF counter. So we kind of labeled those in the same category. So like, you know, if we were getting kind of that tight front or, or you know, some, some four eye and they were just kind of, basically, you know, just cutting our tackle out, we would go ahead and free release the tackle and pull the guard and basically trap the four and then bring the fullback back to the inside linebacker. That was a good little change up for us. Um, you know, and then, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you've got to be able, you know, we also were able to run weak side power. So, so for us, they were almost two different plays. It was depending on if we were running to the tight end or to the, to the open inside. We kind of taught them with different plays, our offensive line, just in their numbering of linebackers and who they were working to. Uh, so, you know, being able to run the power both ways. And then we always tried to carry some sort of reverse off of our power look where we would go ahead and pull like it was power and just 
hand it backside on a neck of the reverse or try to get the backside tackle out if people were overplaying us from the backside. And then, you know, we became a big play action. We were going to, you know, we were going to stick the ball in there and show, show power and max protect and throw two receiver routes or one receiver routes a bunch and really let those guys double move. Cause you know, if it were safeties down in the box playing and we got one-on-one, you know, to me, that was easier teaching my quarterbacks and doing those things than it was on third and eight. So it's like, man, if we're going to throw the ball, let's don't wait till third down. We can get the safeties down the box. Let's stick it in there, make them all come down the box and let's throw some, you know, easy two or one receiver concepts. So, so those were kind of some of our main things, but we could kind of, we got to the point where we felt like we could almost, you know, kick out anybody. The big thing for us on power, kind of going back to the original question too, was, you know, our fullbacks and tight ends spent a lot of time with, with Coach Harper and Coach Boyles within the offensive line communication system. So those guys were always in the communication. So, you know, if we were seeing a six technique or a seven technique in a four-man front that was giving us a lot of problems, you know, we had various ways that, you know, we could adjust how that blocking was, whether we were going to arc a six or we were going to go down on six. We would even sometimes base a six if we had a bigger tight end and take our fullback inside, you know, almost like a double swab with a guard. And so, you know, we just, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I relied on Coach Harper a lot. Um, you know, we were able to make a lot of adjustments, especially after that first year being together and figuring out, okay, here's some of the things that, that you know, were giving us problems. Because, you know, if you, you can see some people that really coach their guys up to wrong arm that fullback and get underneath it. Sometimes there's just no matter where your angle's at, it's just going to be hard. So we're like, hey, let's just, let's just lock that tight end on the six technique or whatever and take the fullback and the guard both up inside off the double team. And so, you know, there were a lot of those things that, that, that we kind of felt like we tried to tried to master that way we could, you know, not mess up our kids a whole lot. We could, Hey, let's lock the six this series and see how that works out and roll the fullback. And so, you know, the tight end would communicate with the fullback. Hey, we're locking it. Nobody else knew there was anything different. And they just made that, made that switch on the run. And so, you know, we were able to do that a bunch and we just, we tried every which way to not let people take us out of running, you know, power. So what, however they, they, whatever they were going to do, if it was a heavy wrong arm team or they were going to play four and cut our tackle or something, we always wanted to have a, you know, a second answer for our kids to, to work with uh, series to series. Would you have built in uh, audibles where you'd flip the play? Like say you got an under front and you're looking at that three and five over there and you're like, man, I think we can get that. Yeah, so so that was that was the biggest thing that like we learned when we went down to to Rice. Now Stanford obviously is on another level. You know they've got you know kills and alerts, and I mean you know they can basically go up there and get to everything. But since we were huddle, you know we put everything on a wristband. We copied Stanford. We even put a you know a wristband on our guard. So our quarterback you know had basically about 180 plays on his three sided wristband the guard had about 180 plays because we put everything on there, shift motion, everything. So we just gave him the number. He looked at the wristband, he read to the huddle. So that was the one way for us. Like, you know, we had certain tags to where we could check the play at the three technique, or if we wanted to, uh, to alert the play, maybe to a shade that was already built in. So we, you know, if we came out and said, Hey, it's, you know, power check or whatever, then the quarterback knew check. Hey, I'm finding the, the B gap player and that's why I'm running it. So he would just come up, 
find the B gap player one year. Our quarterback wasn't smart enough to do it, so we had our center do it. He was like a 32 ACT guy, and so Coach Harper got mad at my quarterback for always screwing it up. So he said, "Hey, we'll just have the center do it." So, but yeah, they would come up, and we would do that quite a bit, you know, depending on the week of, you know, who we were playing, and and so by wristbanding that deal, it, you know, those things were kind of built in week to week. I kind of put the cart before the horse. I feel like I talked about all these great formations and then I got, you said power and I got all excited, but uh, <laughs> let, let, let me take a step back. So you said that you, you did all your motions and shifts on the wristband, correct? Yes, sir. So, so, um, you know, I've been buddies with Andrew Coverdell since gosh, like 2000. And so back in the day, Andrew sent me like his game call sheet and, and on the back of this Excel file, it had all the, his wristband stuff on there. And so I'm like, man, that is, that is pretty awesome. So I got to talk to him about that. So like we basically put all the information on the wristband. And so basically every one of our plays was going to have a shift or a motion built into it, or maybe both. And so what we decided was we're going to put one on every play. And then if we didn't want to shift or motion, we had a signal to tell the quarterback, Hey, just don't read off the shift or motion right here. Just read off the play. So you know, it might be like we get in, you know, tight end nub wing and shift or just pro eye and run powers to the to the tight end side. Well, you know, we could shift to that. Like, let's say that was wristband one. Well, we could shift to, to wristband one or we could say, hey, no shift called, you know, wristband one. And we just lined up pro eye and run power at you. So for every wristband call, it kind of had two things built into it if, if we wanted to look that way. And so it just gave us a way like you know, we might've, you know, gone into a game running, you know, Hey, we want to get under center in the pro eye and we want to run power to the tight end side 15 times. Well, you know, we might've had it on the wristband six or seven different ways with different shifts or different motions just to change the appearance to the defense every time. What were some of your favorite shifts to do without giving away too much? And I know, you know, you, you got to keep your job and everything, but what were some of your favorite things that you like to do whether it was just to stress out the defense or whether it was to give an ID or to get certain looks that you wanted, et cetera. Big ones, a favorite for us was obviously the tight end wing and then move both of those guys. And so we would start in tight end wing and we might move them both over to where we're, you know, in a pro offset fullback look. We might start in a tight end wing and just shift the tight end over, and the fullback might come back over and be offset weak. Um, you know, from the tight end wing, we would go, you know, move one of them and end up in 12 personnel A's. Um, you know, so that was one of the things, just because I felt like a lot of people, you know, were going to have a wing check if they were any good, because we would run pin and pull out of the wing a lot. And so, you know, if, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't adjust well to the wing, if you wanted to pack it all in power, we were to run a pin and pull and we were going to cave it all down and here we go. So, uh, you know, we felt like that was one of the things that, that, that people were going to have to spend a lot of time on was how they were going to play a tight end wing surface. And that was not only with the wide receiver outside, but also to a nub side. So now you got to work with your corners about where their fits are and that kind of stuff. Um, and then we also just like going from 12 personnel, get them in a balanced defense, you know, and then like you said, like, okay, maybe we wanted to run out of players. So we might say like power and then in parentheses on the wristband, I might put, you know, at number 12, let's say he's your, you know, worst outside linebacker. We want to empower him in a, in a three, four look. Well, we would come up in A's ID where 12 was and say, okay, hey, we're going, you know, 
power left right here by our call, shift the right tight end back to fullback. Those two guys were always kind of interchangeable and then run power at your weaker outside linebacker guy. Um, you know, that was, that was a good one. And then for us, I, you know, we've kind of gotten away from it the last two years, but we were kind of a big bunch team. And so, you know, we were going to bunch, we were going to make people bunch check. And I'm a big believer in not only in three by one bunch, but also bunch unbalanced. So unbalanced bunch with three bunch with a wide receiver outside as well. And so I want you to have to bunch check with your corner and without your corner and see if you can get both safety to the side or pull the string on your defense or stuff like that. And so for us, what we did is every install, there was basically two shifts that went in. And, and by the time we got through, you know, a five day install, you know, we basically had 10 shifts in uh, ready to roll for the season. And they were real easy for our kids. They were just one word things for our kids that made a lot of sense for those guys, but it put a lot of stress on the defense. And then we would have, you know, some game plan ones that we did, you know, like we would line up in 21 personnel, maybe like, you know, with the tight end to the left and the, the, the fullback in the home set, and then just, you know, quickly shift, you know, back. And then, um, you know, here recently, you know, in, in 2020, this past year, our tight ends were more your, you know, your tight ends you think of these days, a little bit more athletic and stuff. So we got into the stuff where we started them more out at wide receiver and brought them back into the, to the backfield. I just, I'm a big believer um, against good people. You know, you've got to change the look of that core pre-snap. I don't think, you know, it, it doesn't need to be like, I'm not a history guy, but I think like the whole, you know, revolutionary war day where, Hey, we're both going to walk up and we're going to stay fire and shoot each other and keep shooting each other. Like, I mean, I want to come out of the bushes and, you know, ambush people. And so it's like, that was our way of doing it. Like we never want to, you know, let, you know, like say coach Fred or coach Gaylor see where our tight end and was and call the front from the sideline. We wanted them to always in the back of their mind, think crap, this ain't where he's going to end up. They're moving somewhere. So, and then put that on the, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kid to get them in the right, you know, run, run, run stun or, or blitz or whatever that they might have. That's why like, you know, for us, it was, I mean, you know, if, if it was just, hey, we're going to call the, the offense and we're going to let Adam or Coach Fred see what we're going to do and him call the defense, well, that wasn't very good for us, you know. So, it's like, how can we – our kids know exactly where we're going to end up and what we're doing, but it put it back into their kids' plate a little bit more. I feel like the pro-style offense is more about attacking people rather than X's nose, and and, and, and I don't mean that – I don't mean that in totality, but there, there seemed to be, when you talk to more pro style coaches, we're going to go after this guy instead of we're going to go after the numbers or like a generic nameless, faceless person. And I think the pro style offense really gives you a platform to maximize matchups up front that I don't know that the spread does as much, especially spread, no tight end stuff. Right. And I think, you know, when you start having three, four, maybe five man surfaces, you know, now the way um, I don't think kids get the run fits like they used to back in the day. You know, I mean, I think in the in the spread, you know, the way people maybe teach run fits, I mean, you're not having to 
you know, maybe fit a kick and a swab and borrow an extra body from, I mean, are you borrowing that guy from the front side or the back side? And so again, I kind of go back to, you know, our goal was, you know, for them to go out there on Monday and have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday basically to try to get ready. And so it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to hop in pro I and run power. It was, you know, you've got a formation wreck, all these stinking things, you know, and I heard a long time ago, you know, in the run game, you know, you know, I think you've got to have counters to everything, but you've also got to be able to run the ball in all the different gaps. You know, I mean, I think you just, you can't, you, you know, you've got to have some perimeter runs and you've got to be able to attack a open A gap and an open B gap and a C gap. You know, you've got to have those runs so that, you know, if you do play a war daddy, that's a, you know, a three technique and, Crap, maybe you can't even double his butt out of there. You better be able to attack it either on the perimeter or the A-gap or somewhere else, you know. And so I think that's where the beauty of what we were able to do, you know, especially those first three years was, um, you know, we were able to really figure out the counter moves to what people were going to do to try to stop us. I think that was the – I think that's when you really kind of feel like you your system is where it's at. It's no different than you defensive guys. I mean, you guys are going to line up and call a defense knowing kind of where your weaknesses are. But if, if you start to get exposed, what's your counter move? You better have something to go to in your bag of tricks or it's going to be a long night, you know? And so I feel like that's where we were really all on the same page and really kind of evolved offensively was we were able to go out on a Friday night and make really quick adjustments and all be on the same page as far as, okay, they're doing this. We need to do this. And, you know, my other thing was, the wristband deal and huddling allowed us to get ourselves in and out of bad plays with young kids at quarterback. Cause I was able to put it on the wristband. Like if we had a, you know, if we had a power called and, you know, somebody came out and, you know, like we used to at jinx, they used to call it split solid, like a three, five, nine front. We didn't want to run it that, that way that, you know, and we thought that was a possibility that we, you know, we could put, you know, kill the weak side power versus three, five, nine on the wristband. So now my quarterback, he doesn't have to memorize it. He doesn't have to be Andrew Love. It's on the wristband. He sees it. He gets up there. Hey, it's three five nine. I'm killing it. We'll run a weak side power the other way. And it's like, you know, originally before the wristband stuff, I'm like, there's no way I could teach that to a 16 year old kid. But now I'm like, man, he can read. He can see it. All he's got to do is say kill, kill, and everybody knows we're going to weak power. Here we go. The party. So I feel like that was that was you know a huge benefit for us as well was being able to get in and out of bad plays versus good people. It makes sense. I mean, there's there's a lot of that chess match, and I think that's what I miss. I mean, fronts nowadays, coaches carry only a few because you don't have to worry about those. And and I know there's a lot of spread offenses, but I'm telling you, there is something about and Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just I'm full of crap, and this is the way I think, and everybody that's going to listen to this is think I'm crazy, but there's something about even 11 personnel – Three by one, why off? There's something different about when that guy's in the gun and even the pistol, and when that guy's under center. Well, and, and what what's what's funny is why you say that. So it's like we went to run a, a a movement of play action naked uh, this spring, you know, out of out of eleven personnel out of the shotgun. It's like I mean, it was basically like a sack. Like nobody fell for the play action. I'm like, man, there is something about being under center and the quarterback showing that football on all of our play action stuff. I mean, especially, you know, if you get good at hiding that football and the running back, you know, it makes it look like run 
I mean, I, I'm telling you, you get nine guys stuck up in the box real fast on that stuff. And it's, uh, like I said, I mean, it's just, I think it's really tough if you're not seeing it to get ready in three or four days, especially, if, you know, you're playing a bunch that's physical up front. And, um, you know, it's just, um, again, I kind of feel like a dinosaur. I remember when I first started, you know, the defense would kind of huddle up and they were all waiting until the offense broke the huddle and they'd find the tight end. Well, now nobody does that. So, I mean, when we were breaking the huddle, I mean, it was like a, you know, a fire drill, those guys trying to figure out which side to be on and stuff. And, you know, there were a lot of times people would just wave the white flag after about two series and just say, the heck with it. We're going to line up right and left and, and do our best to adjust that way. And then it was like, okay, we got them. We, you know, we're, we're going to line up and call our entire playbook these guys because we know exactly where they're going to be. I think it's really good under center versus certain fronts. You know, I mean, like you said, I mean, the, you know, when they get it called the right way and all that stuff, it was just, it was, for us, it just, it didn't work. And, and, and like I said, I about got fired in the playoffs one night. And I really wanted to keep my job at that point in time. So I'm like, okay, I'm just not going to call it anymore. <laughs> That's a tough scene, man. I, I, co- I coached at a place where if you made a bad call, they'd be like, oh, better next time. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, uh, coach said it kind of in, uh, in, in a little bit of seriousness, but also joking manner. But it was, you know, Dave was awesome because it wasn't, you know, when he basically made a comment like that on the headset, you knew like, hey, let's don't call that, or yeah, hey, he wants yeah. me to call this play. So, so I got, to, I got to where I could uh, figure it out. A quick side story: I worked for Patrick Walsh, and may have told this on another pod, but I worked for Patrick Walsh, who is one of the most honest, genuine people on the planet. Uh, but he would not mince his words. If he didn't like something, he would tell you. And he was very direct, but just an amazing dude. But, uh, well, I shouldn't say but. And in five years for working, or in, in five years working for him, he gave me as much freedom as humanly possible. Like, I don't think he could have done anything else to give me more freedom uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he never, he never, he would ask questions, but he would never make me explain stuff as a way to like put stuff in or like a, like a, like a trial run. And the only time in five years that he ever said something defensively to me was we were in a practice and we used to have this concept called five Tampa sticks, which was we would line up one yard in front of the sticks up to 10 yards right before the snap and play Tampa two out of it. The difference would be we wouldn't show it like that. We would all line up at five and then right before the snap back up and they got a first down on a, on a Thursday practice and during our, our walkthroughs and he just looked at me and he goes, that's not my favorite call. <laughs> and that was his way of like, don't. And I was just like, okay. And I don't know if we ever ran it again. I, I think I actually took That might've been the last time I ever called that coverage because I was like, wow, he actually, and that, he didn't. He was like really nice about it. And if I would have said to him, you know, Patrick, we didn't get it right there, but I, you know, I, I can fix it. I believe in it. Like, just give me another chance. I'm like, absolutely. But that was kind of like the sign that, like, man, this guy hasn't said anything like that remotely to. And he was hands on. Like, he he'd want to know what we were doing. I mean, he he would just ask because he's the head coach and he deserves to know. But I mean, he right. was super supportive and never was like, no, you can't do that. Like, if I believed in something, he believed in me to get it done. 
but I'll I'll never forget that that him looking at me and go, that's not my favorite call. <laughs> but uh so what were some of your other runs that you would get into? So we were, uh, you know, obviously we, you know, would start out and like I said, we kind of varied it from we, you know, if it were to the tight end or the open inside power counter would go in with that day. Uh, we would run, you know, inside zone um, where, you know, we could lock the backside and basically insert the fullback, you know, on, on the backside linebacker. Uh, we always carried some form of outside zone, whether it was kind of the new mid zone or wide zone type stuff or just true outside. Hey, everybody, you know, turn and go. Um, I'm a huge fan of pin and pull. I love pin and pull, especially like, when you've got heavier people and you can get in some of that tight end wing type stuff. And so, um, you know, we were able to, to do that. And then, you know, I probably didn't do it enough, but we kind of dabbled a little bit. Um, you know, when, when Matt Canada had the one good year, you know, we would tag a lot of that stuff with the one good year. <laughs> well, I don't, I I'm say not that. a fan. The one year he, I shouldn't say that the one year he blew up, you know, when he was, uh, uh, before we went to LSU, uh, you know, we stu- I studied a lot of the jet stuff. And so, you know, we got to where we could, you know, obviously being under center and with that stuff, we got to where we could bring the jet and, you know, honestly um, read that thing kind of on the run. So if we got the picture we liked, we could ha- hand the jet off and maybe, you know, have a wing blocking for him, but then, you know, bring power back in behind it, you know, with, with, uh, you know, kind of out of the 22 personnel look. And so there were some things there that, that we kind of dabbled in, but I mean, our, our biggest thing was we were, we wanted to be the baddest football team. We wanted to be physical. We wanted to win with our offensive line, our run game. And so it was, we were going to line up and run, you know, inside zone a little bit. We were going to, you know, run the ball in the perimeter with pin and pull. And then we were going to run all of our gap scheme stuff up inside. And, you know, in, in 18, we had, we had a, a, an athletic quarterback. We played two kids at quarterback and one of them was more of a runner. And so, you know, not to, you know, go crazy or anything. We ran all of our 21 run game and all of our big run game stuff. And we just took our tailback out and put our running quarterback in basically. And so, you know, it looked like we were, you know, in, in uh, 12 personnel, but it was really like 22 with another receiver in there. We just snapped our big quarterback and ran gap scheme stuff. You know, I mean, we just told him basically, hey, you're going to pause, run it just like you would a tailback. And so, you know, he, he was able to throw the ball well enough that people still had to, you know, honor, honor our formations and stuff like that. But that, that got really nasty. And, I mean, basically probably one of the state championship game. I think he carried it like 24 times for like 150-some yards. And, I mean, all we – like we were in 10 personnel – but our tailback was really our fullback. I mean, it looked like throwback. Like, I mean, he's back there in a three-point stance, and we're slamming it to a big kid that's, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, bringing it downhill at quarterback, but you still got to defend four wide receivers as well. So you talk about, you know, giving you some crazy numbers in the box. I mean, that, that cleans up the look real fast when you can do that. Um, and then, like I said, for everything else, I mean, we always try to carry a reverse you know, something kind of that way, but that, that was it. We were going to get really good at that stuff and feel like we could make some adjustments on the fly to what people were doing to stop our gap scheme stuff to, to get us in and out of stuff. I want to go back to that read play of the Matt Kenyana stuff. So, yeah. So 
you're reading take us through that again that's fast is this like a common concept that i missed well so well so you know they would go you know kind of tight end wing under center like let's say it's you know 12 personnel but tight end wing two receivers the other way bring the receiver in motion and you know depending on the concept like you know we can call inside zone to the left okay to the side that the jet's coming from and maybe tell we have a concept for our wing that just told our wing to go or we could take our wing and tight end and go and so we can look outside and say okay hey we've got good leverage here on the jet the wing is going to block the corner we feel like everybody else is kind of in a run look and so it's I mean, it's almost kind of like throwing bubble, but we're bringing the guy in the jet, we're handing it off, and if we don't like the, the perimeter look over there, if the wing has two guys outside and he can't block, you know, two guys, then we're just handing off weak side, inside zone. And so um, we were able to, you know, like I said, we were able to do that some. Uh, we probably didn't do it enough um, just because it was a little bit more, cumbersome with our you know all the tags because we created a tag where the wing could go the wing and the tight end could go and the wing tight end and tackle could go like versus the tight front so it was like uno duo and trio or something like that depending on how many of them were going back to the to the the nub side or excuse me yeah back to the the jet sweep side and so our quarterback would know by the okay if it's uno i've got one guy out there blocking if it's duo i got two guys blocking and if it's trio i got all three of them going and so he would start counting bodies back to that side where the jet sweep was coming. If we had it, hand it off. And if not, you know, we're handing off, you know, inside zone or, you know, again, if we were in another, you know, maybe we we're in 22 personnel where we had a tight end on the backside, you know, you could almost run one back power back the other way or something like that. And so, you know, we kind of played around with that. We didn't major in it a whole lot. I think I want to say in 18, our first touchdown against union in the red zone was kind of off of that look you know, bringing it in motion, kind of reading it off. Of, I believe it was off a of timeout, if I can remember. But um, but it was something that just kind of we, we dabbled in a little bit and then kind of got away from it. But it, it, if you're an under-center team a lot, it's something to, to look into, good, especially if you've got a kid that, that's kind of a jet sweep type guy. Because if he just bubbles off the line, I mean, man, you can – I mean, it's basically the same thing as bubbles, the quarterback. You know, you look out there and you're reading the perimeter and here you go. I think it was Clemson that they kind of had the – the big game against them that year. And that's kind of what sparked everybody's interest. And so I broke down like five or six games. Then I kind of, you know, everybody was kind of real coy about whether they were reading it or calling or something like that. And I finally, you know, kind of like you, you start working all the back channels and you finally get a hold of somebody that will give you just a little nugget and say, well, I can't tell you how we were doing it, but yes, we were reading it. Make Defense Great Again is sponsored by Huddle. Coaches, football season is here, and Huddle wants to make sure it's your most productive season yet. That's why they're offering special discounts for athletic department package customers, also known as ADP. We're talking about tools like GoRoute. You want to take your scout team to the next level? You get GoRoute. They have wristbands. Each scout team players wear one. It tells them what to do. Gone to the day are cards, confusion, practice runs, much more efficiently. And I can't recommend Go Route enough. We're also talking about advanced analytics from Edge Varsity, which has been used by Super Bowl champions. 
and tools to boost the rest of your operations. Honest Game, Gipper, and more. Check back regularly with Huddle for new offers, but in the meantime, want to earn at least $5,000 through live streaming this season? Of course you do. Check out Huddle's Every Play Earn 5K promotion in conjunction with its newest member of the family, Blue Frame. That's right, you can earn $5,000 this year by streaming with Huddle and Blue Frame. Learn more about this promotion at huddle.com slash every play. And have you checked out new Huddle yet? This is the future of Huddle, and it supercharges the way you scout your opponents and yourself. Instant tendency breakdowns, data entry on the fly, is simple, group texting in the app, and much, much more. Put it this way, folks, I've been consulting Huddle on this new experience for the last several years. When they first walked me through how it was going to work, the very first words out of my mouth were, it's that fast? Gone are the days of running a report, then changing data, then having to run the report again. The great thing about New Huddle, the reports are living, breathing things that exist right next to where you are. You change a column of data, and it's instantly reflected in the reports. It's awesome. It's the real deal. Log in today and opt in, and have fun uncovering what your opponent's been missing. So, Coach, we've talked about power, some of the auxiliary plays off of power, or some of the adjustments and tags, rather. We talked briefly about pin-pull. You've mentioned within power, also counter. And then you've talked about your read speed sweep that you got from Matt Kenyatta or you saw them do. What are Do, do you have any other runs that you really hang your hat on and besides, you know, stuff that you put in, reverses and whatever for opponents or... Maybe a one game uh, here, one game there. Do you have anything else that you guys kind of hang your hat on, or was that pretty much the core? Inside zone has been kind of a staple play for us. Uh, just kind of, again, you know, going back to combat, some of the stuff that people do to stop power and counter, like the old school split zone stuff. Uh, we tinker with on the backside of it, locking it on the backside and inserting the, inserting the fullback on the backside linebacker almost to give it a – you know, a split zone lock look. Um, Coach Alexander was a big fan, a fan of just old school ISO. Let's double team the shade and let's go. You know, if we got a big, big bruiser fullback, let's just go. You know, put put two screws on on the play side linebacker, and then off of that, when we went and visited Kansas State, they would uh, run ISO to the three technique and base the three block back on the shade with the center and fold the guard around the backside linebacker and ISO, A-gap ISO, the, the, the frontside linebacker with the fullback. So we kind of got out where that was kind of a little unique play for us against four-man front teams where we could just line up and call ISO, and it didn't matter what side it went to. It was to the – we got it called to the shade side, then it was your normal ISO play. But if it was back to the three-technique side, now we just sent the fullback in the, in the A-gap and again, we fold the guard around the center and we base the three. And so that was a nice little change up for us. And then, um, you know, like, like you'd kind of mentioned, obviously off of most of our better plays, we, we built in reverses somehow, some way, whether it was, you know, uh, off of, off of power look or something like that. And we tried to maintain the integrity of the play where it looked just like it. And a lot of times it was like a, a naked reverse. We may not pull anybody out there for it, but we wanted to show the defense that it was, power or split zone or whatever, and then hand it off to a fast guy going back the other direction. 
Yeah, we actually played in a section final game where the team we were playing busted out that fold ISO play that you talked about. And it would have killed us because we were a 4-4 robber team. And it would have really hurt us, but they had decided to do it out of uh, kingbacks or near eye, depending on what you call it. And we just happened to, for that game plan, just by chance, we hadn't really done anything like this before. But because the only thing that they had coming back was tackle trap, and they had a really tough time trapping the nose. They weren't running counter out of the offset. They'd run it out of the eye, but not the offset. We did the old TCU slide concept. So we took our Mike, who was usually a 10, 30, 40 eye, kind of in that area, moved him to a 50. Our Will, who was a backside 30 to 10, moved him to the front side A. And we brought our weak safety. He was usually like four by four in there somewhere. And we moved him to stack the end. And we ended up building a lever spill lever defense. And so what was good is we had the angle. Our Mike was head up on the fullback. Our will was in that a gap and he was beating the guard because it would open up. Yeah. But again, that was, that was pure luck. That wasn't any kind of genius move. I, they'd never run it before and we had never run that front before. And it just so happened. They decided to do it out of that set. Had they done it out of the eye, it would have given us problems. But I remember going, man, did we get lucky here? (laughs) Cause that's a pain in the ass play. And, I teams, you know, we saw a lot of teams out in Northern California, a lot of 50 defense. And so teams would have completely different game plans. And then we didn't know we would get, there was one, four, three team in the area, but we were really the only eight man front G defense, you know, four, four, we still called it the four, four at that time, four, two, five, whatever you want to call it. And that was the hardest part about playing guys like you is you know, you have your plan versus the 50, you have your plan versus four, three, you have your plan versus four, 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 two, five, whatever you want to call it. And you or but you don't see the that person's plan because they never see the defense. And so you're trying to guess what they're going to do. And that's what made the offense so hard. I mean, I feel like today's offense is more of the spread stuff at the limited run game. I mean, you're going to get zone, you're going to get stretch, you're going to maybe get some sort of gap scheme if it's 11 personnel. Some teams are running 10, you're getting like Q counter read or, you know, the bash OT or bash or whatever power read. But that's not, I don't think teams are doing that as much as they were three, four, five years ago. And not to say that it's extinct, but you, you get pretty basic game plans in the sense that if you run zone, you're going to run zone, right? But when you get these yep. eye teams with a more diverse run scheme, I mean, obviously it sounds like you guys ran power, right? Uh, and if you that were was see, what we were going in with. Right. And if you were going to see a 50, ISO is a great play, especially if they're you yep. know, spinning strong cover three, you run ISO weak, you got the jack or the rush or whatever you want to call him on the line, and he doesn't fold, and you get a piece of that 30 backer on the other side, it may be out the gate. Yep. Where if you get into a four two five four four slide defense, that's not as good. However, there's all these different little, like you said, the fold play. There's all these other little adjustments that you have to account for, and that's why I always like. Um, and correct me if I get the name wrong, but it was it Kleinman at uh, Kansas State. He was at North Dakota State. Yes, yeah. That's what I really yeah. loved about watching them and watching guys that run your type of offense is the little. The little adjustments they make, the play within the play that they're making versus certain fronts. And I was fortunate enough to live 
how within 15 minutes of Stanford for almost a decade. And so I got to see up close and personal, those sort of adjustments. And that's why I think I've always liked the offenses. It's just, it's the game within the game. I feel like there's a real chess match with those kind of offenses. Not that there's not, and I know I've said this earlier in the pod, but not that there's not when they're spread, but I like the little adjustments, you know, pulling certain guys or taking the fullback and moving them around. And I, I, I hate to see it, but I love to see it. If that makes sense. Like I, I hate seeing it versus me. I love seeing it versus someone else. Well, there's no doubt. Another one, I guess I kind of failed to mention is, you know, we, we always kind of a little play. We just kind of always carried more for goal line type stuff, but that fit in, like you said, if we saw a defensive adjustment, but was just the, the G lead play, you know, the front side G where, you know, now the tight end and tackle can really get a good double and, and we can go kick that stand up nine out there and, and lead the fullback through either for the safety or the play side linebacker kind of depending on, on front we were getting. And so, that was one that, again, we practice a lot in short yardage goal line looks where it's kind of an all-down kick-out front side um, play. But, you know, there were times where, you know, we might, you know, if we were getting like a, you know, a four technique that was really bogging us down, you know, on power or something like that, then, you know, we were able to, to, to front side G it, hit a little bit wider uh, out there and, and kind of get out of, you know, again, just kind of give us a different uh, hold of attack, you know, and so – um, that, that was another one that we kind of carried every week as an auxiliary run. So when you ran G lead, what looks were you seeing that you were thinking, okay, we need G lead this week, or we're, we, we want it because it's going to take advantage of this looks the guys I knew that run the offense G lead was a constraint play for certain teams where they didn't want to run power versus the three, seven look. You know, three, seven, yeah. 40 backer or 40 I backer, 30 backer, whatever you want to call. So they would put G lead in, but I've also heard some other guys. It wasn't so much to minimize damage. It was to take advantage of defenses. What were, what were some of the things that you like to do it versus specific looks? One of the things was, you know, we would see almost like the, the six, one goal line look where it was almost like a, you know, you get almost like a three, five, nine over there. So it was really easy just to go down, down, pull kick out, take your fullback through and, know that, I mean, there's probably going to be a, you know, a linebacker safety, maybe both of them sitting there, but it just, it gave us angles. And like I said, you know, gave us a chance to, to kick out the nine and, and, and kind of stick it, you know, basically up in the C gap. And then, you know, there were times like, you know, if we saw odd that, you know, people were playing a four technique and they were really slanting those guys in or almost like now, you know, the, the mess front stuff where it's a four eye where, you know, power was just really hard to, you know, just the angles and, there weren't really getting any double teams where, you know, we could just take it down, take our tight end down inside for the play side linebacker, pull the guard, and now run, you know, off that tackle's down block, essentially, take the fullback through and, you know, reach everything up on the backside. And so those were kind of the two looks that we kind of concentrated on. Again, it wasn't something that, you know, um, you know, we were doing in the open field unless we were getting, you know, an, an odd, like I said, kind of that odd look with, Really, we liked it versus a four or a four I in there where our tight end wasn't having to be the main guy on the block down. He was able to kind of chip through that guy to the tackle and then work up because our tackles were a couple of our better football players there. And, and you know, one of them obviously was an All-American. So, like, we ran it to his side quite a bit because it's like, hey, he's going to handle a four technique. If you just give him a little nudge tight end, you can work on up. And, and you know, we've, we've got a lot of bodies to that side. All right. That sounds like a hell of a run game. <laughs> I like it. Well, 
it, you know, obviously it's like anything else, you know, when you've got to, you know, we had good offensive line coaches. We had basically essentially three guys that played college football and one in the NFL that, that helped with our offensive line and we had really good players. So anytime you got that combination, you should be pretty good at the run game. Sounds like a winning business model right there. So we're going to talk about the pass game. Now, most of the time, I like to start with drop back pass because those are your money passes, right? Right. But it's an I team. I got to talk about drop back pass all the time with the spread stuff. And I know you guys did it quite a bit, but I'm going to start with play action. Let's talk play action. Give me your top three play actions that you ran. What kind of formations you like to run them out of and what you like to run them against? So we were kind of a kind of classified the play actions in two different two different categories we were either nekids where we were getting outside of the pocket kind of quarterback staying on the run and then we had pocket ones so you know we had our standard nekid ones we carried basically three nekids into every game we did you know our, our split zone typical boot look where you've got a flat a drag a comeback and a backside post that everybody runs um you know because we did so much stuff we did some split zone action back to the tight end and use the tight end as the pin guy and late checkout. So now our fullback was in the flat backside receiver was basically running the overdrag frontside receiver and pro was running the comeback. And then that tight end would pin basically down inside, especially like we're seeing, you know, like you said, the three, seven look, he would pin that seven so we could get outside. And then he was kind of the late check down late. So we told that guy, you try to drive that guy down inside for, as long as you can until you see the quarterback escape outside of you and then you just pivot out and try to say we called it the rearview mirror where he could check it down to you and then we had a full flow you know kind of stretch looking play action we took the fullback to the side of the fake and he was just out there you know basically as a lead blocker just basically as a decoy and then our tight end was running the slam flat off the backside still to come back in the overdrag by the receiver. So those three were like day one, day two, day three installs. We carried those all the time. And then as far as the pocket stuff, obviously running power, uh, you know, we were kind of a spider team. We didn't pull the guard. We just gapped everybody back, took the fullback to the end, slipped him in the flat, obviously had a corner and a snag or a corner and a go, depending on what we kind of liked that week. Um, we found that that way was a little bit better than pulling the guard. I pulled the guard on power pass before, but we just couldn't, you know, because of the, the way the wrong arms were fitness and stuff like that, we just couldn't ever get it to, to mesh right with the tailback and the guard and trying to get that. And the few times that we did it, it felt like we were just getting our quarterback gutted. So we just full gas it like the spy, the NFL two teams do on the spider wide banana stuff. And that was our power pass. And then, you know, depending on, if we like split zone action or if we, you know, depending on if we wanted to put like an ISO action, uh, we had kind of a four by three pocket play action where we were going to show, you know, zone pull up and, and, and take some shots over the top. And so we were, you know, a double post team. Um, we were double post with an over by the single on the backside. We would run all the coverage off and bring the receiver back over, um, we did some stuff where we ran, you know, one on a single post if we were getting one-on-one with an over uh, back across. And so, and then we would double move. We would run some, you know, double comeback or double stutters and go on the outside out of out of 21 personnel. And, I mean, it was kind of a max protect. We're just getting two guys out in the route. But our whole deal was we were looking at, 
you know, are, are, how can we affect, you know, if they're getting eight guys in the box to stop the run game and 21 personnel, what are our, you know, how play action wise, what are our best matchups? How do we get guys open? If we can run by guys, we'll run by them. If we can't, then we've got to create something where we get a double move or try to get some type of eye violation off of the safety, off the play action fake where we can throw the post over his head. I got to ask you a question. I worked with Rick Rasnick, rest in peace who was one of the first spread guys. He was at Utah when the Dirty Birds were there, when or Dirty Birds, singular, Jamal Anderson. Eastern Michigan, San Jose State back in the 80s when they were fantastic. And he was on the forefront of a lot of the spread stuff, even back going in the 80s to work for Dennis Erickson and whatnot. But when we worked together at Los Santos, even on the gun, he would run a 22 personnel set, double tights, and he would take the Z and cut his split down a little bit. We would max pro and run a one-man route. One guy. Did yep. you ever do that? Have yep. you ever done that? Oh, absolutely. And that's what, you know, uh, I told people sometimes the, the best way to throw it is to, to pack everybody in there because, you know, sometimes defensive coordinators can be creatures of habit. Even if it were, you know, a, an obvious passing situation, all of a sudden 22 personnel runs out on the field they're going to match it up with their 22 personnel defense. And so, you know, hard to, it's hard to get two over one a lot of times versus 21 or 22 personnel, you know. And so we'd pack it all in the box and put our best guy out there and say, hey, this is the best look that we can get. And the great thing about it as a quarterback coach, it's like your quarterback really can't mess up the read on that look. I mean, it's it's all or nothing. So, but yeah, we would we would do that. And we kind of felt, you know, the same way a lot of times out of 21 personnel, like, split safety defenses when, you know, we would get both safeties kind of down in there tight. We would stick it, you know, in the, in the tailback gut and, and max protect and, you know, throw really, you know, a one receiver route with a complimentary route to the other, other receiver. So it's kind of like, Hey, we're, we're taking the post or the post corner or the go ball or the stutter. And then we had the backside guy working an over route or something like that. So if it did become, for some reason, you know, the safety were to get a jump on it and they ended up doubling the single guy. We had the, the, the receiver on the opposite side working back across to where that safety was vacated from. That's great stuff. How many touchdowns can you remember off the top of your head you threw off of that? In 18, probably about every touchdown pass we had that year was probably off some sort of play action. Uh, no, you know, I mean, I, how many touchdowns did you throw with the one-man one man route? Oh, I would say probably, you know, within the, in, in, in 18 and 19, probably close to, I would say, you know, 12, which would be quite a bit for us. But, I mean, it was, you know, it was, you just, the guy's wide open. I mean, you know, it's, you run the ball, wow. you run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball, and all of a sudden you stick it in there, and here goes the post, and the corner gets caught sleeping, and everybody else, there's five yards trying to tackle your 200-pound tailback, and it's like, just don't miss, quarterback. You know, just don't miss, and he's going to walk into the end zone. I tell you, I've talked about this game a lot. We played in a state championship game in 2017, but I haven't really talked about this part of it. I've talked about, if you ever listen to one of my pods, you've heard me talk about the mythical six foot eight receiver with 2,000 yards receiving. And they were in spread, and we, you know, did a bunch of stuff, but... Their goal line short yardage package is probably the hardest formation I've ever had to defend. I spent three hours on my board just trying to figure out how to line up to it in the sense that we would cover everything 
and be sound. Don't expect to stop everything, but cover everything. And it's a really simple, really, really simple formation. But what they would do is they would put their number one receiver to the left. They would put their outside backer, DN, who was going to A&M, had offers from Bama, freak of nature, as the left tight end. They would bring in a sixth lineman, put him as the right tight end. They'd put a sniffer over to the right, and they'd be in the pistol, I believe, with a tailback. And so, and they, I think they've actually flipped their linemen. So they had, I'm trying to remember this, it's been a while, but basically, you had two of the best freaks of nature athletes on one side to throw the ball. And that, and that tight end was still a pretty good blocker. That DN, rather, was still a good blocker. And if you played, if you put too many people to that side, then they would just hammer you with power right. And I, right. it sounds so simple. And, and maybe it's one of those things that because I was in the moment, it was hard for me. And I ended up coming up with something that I liked. But maybe it's one of those things, you know, when you're solving somebody else's problems, you can come with a really quick answer. But, oh, my God, it was so brutal. So brutal. And we, um, we played it brings back memories. We played a team one time that had a really freak corner. And so it was kind of one of those deals where like, Hey, you know, 22 personnel is a great look for us running the football, but you know, we, we, we can get one-on-one and I'm going, well, guys, if they match up their best corner on our receiver, we can't win that matchup. And we're just not going to win. I mean, their corners going, you know, Division one, power five, and our wide receivers going, you know, NAI or maybe playing intramural, you know, somewhere. And so we came up with the plan that we lined up in the receiver in the backfield in a diamond look with our fullback and our tailback back behind. And we figured out, we just told him, hey, when the defense lines up, you're going to shift to the side away from the good corner. So if he lines up, to our right, you shift out to the receiver on the left. And if he lines up on the left, you shift out to the right, and you're going to run a post. It doesn't matter where the play action goes. Quarterback, you know he's the only guy out there. So as, as crazy as that sounds, we were actually able to hit that twice in one game, just lining up and shifting him away from their best corner. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like sitting there, you know, you, it's one of those things where you we've all been there. You're sitting there on a on a Sunday and you spend an hour trying to figure out a way to win. I'm like, let's just put him back here and shift him away. And it's a, you know, everybody agrees on it. Took, you know, an hour and a half to come up with that. It's, you know, it sounds so simple now, but it's one of those things that you just, you know, everybody's arguing about how to get him open. And it's like, hey, let's just put him in the back room and shift him out. It's like, oh, yeah, that that work. Yeah, yeah, just do that. Yeah. Man, that's uh that's crazy. That's a that's a crazy, crazy thing you gotta deal with sometimes. And that's the fun part about high school football is that you get situations where you have to be so creative because and I and I understand at all levels of, of of football it's like this, but like somebody said the worst backup quarterback in the NFL the worst is still better than so many people in the world. Right. But you get in high school and this happened in semi-pro too, where, I mean, we played a guy, this isn't semi-pro football. We played a guy who was like Maurice Jones, June's backup at UCLA who had an injury that just, he never could recover from. Then the NFL was like, ah, we're good. 
and um, he ended up rehabbing and just playing for fun, and he was unfreaking real. And then I had right. guys on my semi-pro team who will remain nameless. They probably couldn't start for a varsity high school team, and they were grown men. Right. And so the talent disparity is so large that, again, even the worst starting NFL corner versus the best receiver is still they're they're close but you know you get some of those disparities and it's just like you have to do some crazy stuff and then it goes both ways where like you have a guy who's terrible and their guy is amazing and then vice versa where it's like okay we're gonna lock you up man to man then we're gonna play zone like box one defense stuff that you couldn't do in the nfl because no matter how good the the db is they're not going to win every single rep versus the the receiver. You know what I mean? Like even Revis got beat right. occasionally in his prime. But yep. like in high school, we had guys that some games, they were just so much better than the other guy that we could literally know that that guy is going to cover him every single snap. That guy was never going to win. Their receiver was never going to win or the other way around. So we had to double. So, you know, we used to call some of the kids SBH a speed bag with heartbeat because they were, yeah. <laughs> Not not great, but they were literally like in two man. It was like get away just to get in between somebody. Like just just be a. You know, I used to tell our guys sometimes we have a shitty seven on seven. I took this from my mentor Keith Burns. We would have played better defense if we have we had seven strategically placed trash cans on the field. Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean it's it's that's the creativity that you have to have and you have to think outside the box. And I think that's what makes what we do so much fun. And, and I think kind of going back to the original question, just off the play action stuff, I think, you know, a lot like we kind of talked about the run game, you know, time ago I learned that, you know, hey, you need to be able to attack every gap because, I mean, eventually when you play good people, they're going to make you play, try to make you play left-handed. So you've got to have run, you know, that, that solve the answers to, to the problems that the demons create. And I think the play action does the same thing, you know, whether it be naked, I think it comes down to, okay, you know, the plan always for us was like, okay, if the, you know, the safety to the tight end side is the, the drop down guy making the play the most time. And, you know, maybe we want to throw the post to the Z over the top and bring X on the crosser. But, you know, if it's a team that they're playing a weak rotation safety drop down and you've got to be able to do it the other way and just having the, you know, the answers to those things. And then like, you know, if you're playing, you know, nine technique outside linebackers that are hard squeezers and we want to come back and boot off those guys. So I think the the big key for us was, you know, not only for us to be on the same page as the coaching staff and be able to talk about, you know, how we want to attack certain problems, but also, you know, our quarterbacks understanding that, that, Hey, you know, if, you know, the reason that we're probably calling this post over is because that safety's down, you know, that, that that's where the post is going to go. But, you know, hey, it is high school football. If that guy, you know, his backup's in and, you know, he doesn't want to tackle our tailback and he's high, then, you know, you've got the cross coming backside. And so I felt like, you know, that was that was one of the things that, you know, between, you know, Rowdy and, and myself working through some stuff and our staff on the weekends, it was like we were able to kind of have a plan kind of for a little bit of everything so that, you know, hey, if, if they do want to put nine guys in the box and we call, you know, stutter go outside, Here's why we're doing it. Here's here's where the ball needs to go now. But but again, it's high school football. They might double cover that guy for no apparent reason. So don't just throw it to, into two guys. Here's the auxiliary route and secondary route off of it. It's coming. 
don't panic, get back to that. And, you know, if worst comes to worst, we throw the ball away. And if second 10, we can figure out a, a run that's going to work on second and 10. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk drop back game. What are some of your, let's say top three again. I've been reading too many uh, listicles. Top three passes to shred <laughs> the opposing defense. What are your top three drop back concepts? And, and when do you like them? What formations, et cetera? So, you know, for us, kind of two categories, again, kind of the, you know, our quote-unquote quick drop-back stuff and, and normal drop-back. So, uh, quick game stuff, obviously, with the tight end and fullback spacing is a really key deal for us. And so, you know, that's a really good first and ten kind of safe call. Um, you know, you can get into some bunched looks. So, it kind of all the different looks that we get in with multiple fullbacks and tight end spacing has been good. And then it's a way for us to get, if we do get a one-on-one -on, -one on the backside, either we call the route to the receiver, or let the quarterback signal out there what he wants him to run. So, you know, maybe we can take advantage of one-on-one -on -one and get a quick out or a fade stop or something like that on the backside. So spacing has been good for us. Obviously stick, uh, sticks one that, you know, just, again, just the, the, you know, getting a little bit of a horizontal stretch off the linebacker look. Uh, has been good and that we've kind of always been kind of a snag team with the corner route with a replace and something in the flat so those three have kind of been main staples those are always kind of our third down and medium type calls those are going to be three that we're going to carry every week in that third and four to six range if, if we need a pass just we do it so much repetition that our, we feel like it gives our quarterback you know uh, answers to kind of every everything that we're going to see and then drop back buys, we've been, like I said, a little bit more of a shot team off our drop back stuff. Uh, we've been a big double post smash team. Uh, we've run some scissors and smash. And smash is kind of our, our hey, if we're getting something funky, you know, here's where we got to go with the football. Or if it's one high, that's where we're going to go with the football. But if we get the premium look that we want, that we want to take a shot off the double post or the scissors route. Um, and again, those have been kind of, third and longish and, and first and 10, if we haven't thrown a whole bunch of just true five-step kind of drop back stuff from uh, uh, on first and 10, but if we did, those would kind of fall in that category. Um, and then kind of the old hank route curl stuff has been really good for us, like third and seven to 10, where, you know, we take uh, the tight end basically runs the OTB over the ball and we get two, you know, outside curls about 12, 14 yards. And then, you know, the, the tailback and the fullback guys in the flat. So uh, those combinations have been really good for us because we've also been able to adapt that into some of our 11 and 10 stuff when we do get into, like, some two-minute or passing situation. Uh, and then I guess the last one that I would hit probably, you know, we get so much, like, inside leverage corner uh, technique just to take away the post on all of our play action stuff that we run – a little bit deeper speed out. We break it, you know, somewhere around eight to 10 yards and try to throw it at, at, at 10 to 12 yards. And that's, that's been a good route for us, not only off the drop back, but some like quick play action, like, Hey, let's just flash fake it, push those guys up, break them out versus inside technique corners. And then obviously we always have the double move off of it where they run out and ups and it's, you know, it's like stealing. We break it out about every third week and, you know, the corners just driving the, driving out and it's like hey quarterback just don't miss it just you know it used to kill me when they would throw the ball out of bounds so that was where one of our only quarterback rules is hey if you ever throw the ball out of bounds the only thing i can guarantee is it will never never count as a completion so try to keep it in the grasp for me that's great stuff i 
I didn't realize for a second that you were going to do quick, then drop back. And so I was thinking long first, and then I was going to ask you about quick game. I'm like, typical eye guy counting stick is a drop back pass. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, you're talking your exit dime at quick game. I got a laugh out of that. Yeah, I just, you know, and again, you know, the thing for those has been so good for us is just, you know, they work out of every formation that we do, whether it's, you know, tight end wing with a fullback, you know, we put the wing on the, on the, on the spacing and, you know, the, the Y on the OTB and the fullback and the flat and then the single or the bunch stuff. And it just, you know, those things, obviously the more carryover we can get into all of the different personnel families, the better. So we try not to have routes that are just 10 personnel routes or whatever. It's like, we want to be able to carry it across all of our personnel groupings. That's smart. I was just thinking as you went through, like, man, you know, if I coached offense and, and I did, as I mentioned for a year and helped out here and there, but if I had to be an offensive coordinator, what the hell would I choose pass wise? You know, it's so different, you know, growing up defensively, having a mentor, you know, you have a foundation you start with, you see it, you know, in the NFL, I, I talked on the talked with somebody recently about this, about, you know, these guys that get these jobs and they, they run the system that they know. But a guy like myself who started out on one side of the ball and then would switch over, like if I ever got a head coaching job, like what would I do on offense? And, you know, you hire a coordinator, but sometimes you can't find people and you got to kind of put it all together and kind of lead the charge. And, my God, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I would just pluck the – I would call my five or ten closest offensive compadres and be like, all right, rank your most versatile concepts one to five, one to ten, and then I'm going to put it in an Excel doc and pick from there because – God knows how I would figure this all out, putting all this together. Well, there's no doubt. I remember, I remember the first time, you know, when we were kind of going through an install way back at Jinx out of heavier personnel, it was like, I saw, a, you know, an Andrew Coverdale PowerPoint and I reached out to him and I'm like, Hey, talk to me through the spacing thing. Like I'm seeing you do it out of all these things. And so, you know, it, it just, you, you saw it on film, you know, 49ers doing it, different people doing it, but it was just, like you mentioned, it's so good to have those people with sounding boards because it's like, you know, he took me through all the problem areas and exactly how they taught it. And, you know, it's just, it was just, it's so good to have people like that in your corner because if you don't, it's like, man, I, here's what I think I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, you see it at a clinic or something. You're like, oh, I was teaching that all wrong. Gosh, I can't believe that. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> it happens. I mean, one of the greatest things about this podcast when I started on uh, with You Know Who was getting to know some of the guests and things was I could reach out to them in, in heat of moment situations for answers. I mean, I, you know, being able to reach into that Rolodex, so to speak, it probably shouldn't even use that analogy anymore. Probably nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about, but re reaching into your contacts, there you go. Reaching into your contacts, right. being able to right. hit people up and say, Hey man, what, what do I do here? Like I'm help, you know, it goes a long way. And for young guys that are listening, I get this question a lot. This is my quick public service announcement, and then we're going to wrap this up so I can stop yep. holding you hostage. But <laughs> young guys ask me all the time, like, what should I do? Who should I learn from? Pick a style of football that you like that's versatile. Also, when you're evaluating this, think about standing the test of time. I wouldn't go with something that's a huge fad if that person hasn't had success before, something that you know is going to kind of go out of style soon because as soon as defense is figured out, you know, it's kind of shallow. It's not real deep where once yeah. the defense gets that one answer, you're, you're kind of screwed. Like 
the offense you run is to the test of time. It's still effective. Right. But mostly I would say people stopped running it, not because the spread is better, but it's easier to find wide receivers than tight ends on the whole in general. Right. Now I used to coach Gilroy high school, the next school over. Well, at the time, the next school over was Hollister. They couldn't find receivers, fast receivers. Now they had a couple, but they didn't have four. They had big, strong, tough kids, like big kids. So they were perfect for this style of offense because they had, they'd usually have one or two burners. They have big ass country tight ends and fullbacks. And that was the whole thing. Why, you know, if you talk to the early spread guys, why'd you go to the spread? Why well, couldn't find the tight end? Look at the best teams in college football. What do they all have in common? I'm talking about year in, year out. Oh, they yeah. all have amazing tight ends. Look at Oklahoma. Hell, they got two. Yeah. You know, and if you can find those guys and, you know, also for non-platoon teams, I know, or, or platoon teams, like one of the advantages for us not using a tight end, Sarah, was I got all those guys on defense. And so. That was it, what I was going to say. I think, I, I think, I think that's part of it too, that you're, see, you're on the offensive podcast. See, I blame the defensive guys. I heard uh, Coach Whatever. Lowe talk about your time there. I heard Coach about your time there. I think you guys steal all those guys for for linebackers and DMs, and that's why we can't find them. Well, I got in that job, so I feel <laughs> very. I don't feel bad at all about that. And Coach Lowe, I know is going to listen. Shout out to Coach Lowe, but I, I I literally feel no remorse for that at all. Uh, <laughs> What he didn't tell you is, no, I was going to say, what he didn't tell you was I would always <laughs> offer him up. But then every time they're like, I think we're going to put an 11 personnel package. I'm like, well, I have no problem. I had no problem with them using them. But I didn't think it was going to be the main thing on offense. I'm like, all right, what are we really going to get out of this? We run the double wing. So we have a run offense. We have 10 personnel. This guy is obviously a linebacker. Like we're talking like linebacker of the year. We had a will linebacker that won player of the year on defense. A four, three will linebacker. Like who does that? We're not saying an outside rush guy. I mean, these guys were clearly good linebackers and we only played with two. It wasn't like we were running a three, four. Right. I'm like, y'all I'm, listen, I'm just the defensive coordinator, but, and, and the head coach pretty much deferred to me on this, but I'm like, you better use them, use them or lose them kind of a deal. But yeah, I mean, it also made our team better because what what what's good if you're not going to use that guy all the time, a guy that can play is going to spend half his practice to play 25 percent of a game. Yep. Is that really worth it? You know, but whatever. One, he, he's always, one of the, you guys are always going to complain about everything. I'm just kidding. I'm one just of kidding. the things that was one of the things that was good that was kind of in place when I got to Broken Arrow was we would take young like kids that were going to be sophomores that were linebackers that maybe weren't going to be in the two deep, you know, their sophomore year, we knew they were going to be really good players, but we would take those guys earlier in their career and train them up at fullback and tight end. And, you know, they might get some varsity time that first year. And then on offense, knowing that the next year, their senior year, we were going to need them a defensive end or linebacker, but because they had kind of spent a year in the offense, you know, they were able to kind of be our two-way guys like you're talking about, but they didn't require a lot of offensive practice time because it's like, you know, hey, as a sophomore, they ran two-back power, you know, 20 times a day. 
And so that was kind of a unique deal that worked out really good for us in the long run that we would take those kids and the defense were like, Oh yeah, I'll take them. You know, they're a JV guy right now. We'll use them on JV nights. And so we were able to kind of share those kids early because they weren't mainstay defensive guys, even though they, we knew that they were going to be, but we were able to play those guys a little bit earlier offensively. And then, you know, again, as they, as they grew up older, uh, they didn't require as much offensive practice time because uh, they were starting on defense, but they could still go in and function, you know, 25, 30 snaps a game on, on, on Friday night on offense. Yeah. I don't feel bad about taking all those guys. I was thinking about it while you're answering. I'm like, no, nah, I don't feel bad. No, but uh, when I went to Clovis, I knew that that was going to be a huge part of our offense was using tight ends. And it also depends on what the kid can do because – and their desire, like we can sit here and say all the time, oh, we're going to the kids are going to play what we tell them to. And of course, like I'm thinking of James Altman, who was our inside linebacker. He would have loved to play tight end, but he loved playing linebacker. You know, when I was at Clovis, we had a tight end. We had two tight ends that were very, very good tight ends, and they would have lined up on defense for us, but it wasn't really. They had the body type for it, but they were just more offensive guys. They, they were really good, and they were right. really good at what they did. And I remember some of our assistants are close to me, like, well, well you know, we, we, can, we can grab those kids. I'm like, why? Why grab them? Well, we need some depth. I'm like, sure, for depth in a, in a pinch, but, like, if they're both in the game, we're going to be playing vanilla defense. So work them in technique, but, like, they don't particularly want to play DN. They like me. They like you, I think. They like me, though. So they'll play for me if I ask them. Right. But it's not where their heart is. Like, I, I, you know, I'm big on that. You know, if a kid's heart's we, not into something, you're not going to, they're not going to be as good as if they are. And so it was one of those deals. They were great on offense. They weren't great on defense. We had better players on defense. Now, if they had been the two best DNs, then we would have probably had to work something out. But, and I knew we were going to be in 11 personnel 90% of the snaps. So it was like, screw it, stay on offense. You know what I mean? No doubt. And one, one of the things, too, that, you know, we kind of got a little bit into that mold where, you know, we just, you know, we knew we needed tight ends. But just because of the way the drill work and stuff went, we would also cross train like our centers and guards learn to basically play both. So we'd always try to get our guards where they were snapping the football just so we never got in a pinch. And then, you know, a lot of our tacklers would also double out as tight ends. So that way when they work, you know, their pods and groups and all that stuff, they could still work all the combos and kind of get both of them. And so, you know, for a couple of years there, you know, we played a lot of our tight ends were basically, you know, a third or fourth string or a young tackle or something like that. And that's how we were able to get them reps in practice and, and, and play on Friday night. And so, again, I think, you know, just, you know, Coach Harper did a lot of that stuff, training those guys and, and Coach Boyles. And, it, you know, it helped us in the long run because we were able to kind of develop a, a series of tight ends you know, out of that look, but they were also interchangeable so they could go play tackle on JV night or, or whatever we needed to do. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. All right. I've kept you for long enough. I'm going to wind this down. Coach, any other piece of your offense you want to kind of touch on before we get to the final question? Uh, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit, but I think, you know, the big thing is, is I think, one of the things that we learned, uh, you know, when we did the Kansas State visit was, you know, I think you, you, there are times where you've got to have the ability to check the play. The quarterback's got to be able to check the play. And so 
one of the things that I felt like they did that, that we kind of learned a little bit of is, you know, they, they kind of had buzzwords for like, you know, the ISO play. If they wanted to run it at the A gap, they might call ISO and then have a code word at the end of it, whether it was, you know, Bravo, if they wanted to run at the open B gap or, you know, Acer or something like that, if they wanted to run at the open A gap. So, you know, instead of saying like ISO right, ISO left, they might say ISO Bravo. And that told the quarterback that triggered his thinking, Hey, I've got to check this to the B gap, you know? And so, um, I think that, and then I think you also need the ability, you know, defenses, again, these guys, I mean, they study all the tendencies. I think you've got to have the ability to maybe check plays to and away from certain players. So, you know, we would have, you know, plays that, you know, we might want to run two back power away from their really good, you know, six technique or, you know, five technique or whatever. And so, you know, we might have, you know, on our wristband call, we might've just said power and then, away and then the kid's number power away from 45 so the quarterback came up he saw 45 so i think you know if anybody's kind of going to dabble in this stuff i think being able to have that ability uh and again you know we were able to kind of create a system in there where it made it real easy on the quarterback he wasn't having to memorize it week in and week out it was like we gave him in the play call basically hey you're checking it at the open B gap or away from this player that really helped us out a lot and again that was something we kind of learn on the fly from those guys at Kansas State. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Okay, so let's get to the final question. It's a question I ask at the end of every podcast. Here's the scenario. It is the state championship game. Your first year in Arkansas, you make it to the state game. <laughs> You're down by two. You're driving the field. There's 11 seconds left. Fourth and nine, 35-yard line going in. You've got one timeout, so you don't have to go for a Hail Mary, and you got a really good field goal kicker. But you're a little outside of the range. You want to try to get that first down, call the timeout, get the kicker on, and win. Okay? All yep. things being equal, meaning you don't have some crazy-ass receiver that you can just throw a fade up to, and they yep. don't have a guy that's going to lock one of your guys down no matter what. And I know I, I give this hypothetical. I don't want to give a situation where – there's some freak in nature. We just throw that guy. Okay, well, yeah, if you got Randy Moss, throw a curl to him or whatever. Whatever the coverage is. <laughs> right. If they play outside and run a curl, if they play inside, throw a comeback. Whatever. Just get the ball to him, whatever. But that's no that, that defeats the whole purpose of this question to see like the style of the personality of the coach. But in that situation, what's your go-to? What are you gonna call? Well, I'm gonna kind of cheat here. This kind of came up in the state championship game in 2018. I like it. I like real world applications better than fantasy land. It's not cheating at all. I, I, I'd like to ask this question to everybody, but not everybody's now been there. Now the way, it, the way it happened was a little bit different. We, we were, I can't remember where we were at in the game. I want to say we were, we were either up one or down one and it was third down and we threw an incompletion. And so it's like fourth and eight, fourth and nine, about that same range. So I'm thinking, I think we were up one so. I, I'm thinking Dave, Coach Alexander is going to, hey, we're going to punt this thing, play great defense, and, and win the game. And so my mind's down to the iPad, you know, and all of a sudden, like, I don't hear punt team or anything like that. And so I kind of look up, and it, we're just kind of at a standstill. And so I go, hey, uh, Coach A, what do you, what do you, what do you want to do here? And he's like, well, I'd like to get a first down. And so, I mean, like, the play clock's running. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking we're punting. Play clock's running. And so it's like we jump in three by one six man protection 
we go four vertical because I'm anticipating they're going to play uh, some sort of poked coverage and we're going to get one-on-one with our receiver versus their corner. And in our four vertical, we, we read it on the run. So if the corner's soft, we're going to fall out past the sticks and throw the comeback. If we can win over the top, you know, we're, we're going to take it deep and we're going to take our best receiver one-on-one in the boundary. And so I'm anticipating that. Well, they come out and they cloud the boundary. And so the kid that we have at number three, basically running the, the cross seam is a kid who's only caught one ball the entire year. And I know right now when we snap the ball, I know that's where the ball is going. Cause I see the safety come off the hash and cloud over the number one receiver, the boundary. And all I'm thinking is we're going to throw the ball in the most important game of the year to a kid who's caught one football all year. And so we drop back and we throw it like we have been practicing, which we did. We, we practiced it, but we, I mean, it looked like it was, he was our go-to receiver. I mean, he catches the ball over the Mike linebacker who, you know, is, is, is uh, underneath the, underneath the route and catches it. And, and so we catch it and convert. Of course, everybody goes crazy. And, and Dave goes, well, if I know we were going to throw the ball to that guy. I probably would have punted. <laughs> But, but it, I guess to answer your question, I think that route has a lot of, you know, different things. It's a six-man protection. So, you know, it gives, us, it gives us some decent answers up front in the protection of things. And then, like I said, it, at a three-by-one, you know, we can look to the one-on-one in the boundary. Uh, if we were to get one high, we could play the two scenes. And, and I think it gives us a lot of different answers. And, and our quarterback would probably be the most comfortable with that route and that situation getting the ball out of his hands. That is an absolutely fantastic answer. Thank you so much for that. That's that is great. <laughs> well, it was it was we laugh about it now. We laugh about it now, but I just remember when I saw the safety come off the hash in my mind, I'm sitting there going, We're throwing the ball to the kid who's caught one pass all year and the game's on the line. I'm like, Man, I hope I hope <laughs> I hope he catches it because if he drops it, I'm never gonna hear the end of it. Now I know you won the game. Congrats, by the way. I want. I know you won oh, the game, but what happened after that? Was it the same situation where you lined up and kicked a field goal, or did you keep driving? Well, there was a little bit more time, so we kept driving, and we did the same thing in the red zone. We threw third and goal from like the three. We threw power pass incomplete, and so again, I'm thinking we're probably going to kick the field goal and go up four. And Dave's like, hey, no, run your, you know, run your two-point play right here. We need to score a touchdown and, and try to go up eight. And so we had run – it was almost the same thing. We had practiced a little old-school toss sweep in the boundary, like we're going to show formation of the field and we're going to run it back to the nub tight end with the fullback out there out of, out of 22 personnel. And, and we're just going to rip and run. And, and so we, we made it by about six inches. Uh, but it was another one. We lined up. I think Dave was anticipating, you know, one of our one of our mainstay runs, but that was kind of our answer. We thought they would pack it all up inside, so we were going to kind of toss it outside and catch them by surprise. And like I said, we made it by about six inches, and I'm glad we did because uh, it was, it, you know, kind of gave us a little bit of breathing room right there. We went up eight and and uh, held on at the end to 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 win the win the state championship game. That is incredible. What a way to end the podcast. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Sorry for all the false starts, reschedules, all the other crap we endured for this. I appreciate you. Good luck in your first season in Arkansas. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. And like I said, if, 
if I can ever help anybody out there listen, I know this pod and your your dark side pod that we won't talk about on on the other uh, the other pod that you run. Uh, I like to sneak in and listen to those guys. Those guys help me out quite a bit as well. So just appreciate you doing this. And if I can ever help anybody, uh, feel free to reach out. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you. Thank you to Coach Wilkerson for coming on last year. Appreciate your time and always enjoy talking about the eye and all the things you can do out of it. Looking forward to starting the pod again in 23. Don't unsubscribe or anything like that. I promise you we will be back. We're just going to take a little hibernation. So bears, yeah, hibernation. It's going to take a little hibernation. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Vass, the show's account at RunVassOption. You can check out linktree.com slash Coach Vass for all my links and goodies. I've talked enough this pod. So I'm going to leave you with this. Whether you like three yards in a cloud of dust or four verts, we have you covered, and I promise you we'll have you covered next year. Good luck this year. Go kick some ass. Don't score too many points, though. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Make sure you check out those courses. Bit.ly slash tightfrontvass. Also, underdogfantasy.com for the game planning course. Even if you're an offensive coordinator, you can check it out. See how us defensive coordinators think, how we're watching you, how we're evaluating you. Again, you could put in as little as 10 bucks and get the course for free. What are you waiting for? Go. Go. Go do it now. All right. I'm really done talking. See you guys.